Where it is, 502, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brad Barnes, Brad Thompson, Chris Ranji, Randy Carricker. We've got Take It or Leave It coming up in a moment. Send in your text to the Home Loan Expert text line at 65780. Before we get to Teoli, Minneapolis is set for a high of 8 degrees on Super Bowl Sunday, but luckily the game will be in the brand new and enclosed U.S. Bank Stadium. Tony Dungy played college ball at the University of Minnesota and knows all about the cold. Yesterday he told Dan Patrick just how bitter it can be. It was finals week. You had a take-home test at uh, the University of Minnesota. First semester up here, you know, it's starting to get cold. December, I have a take-home final. I did it in my dorm. All I had to do was go turn it in. It was like December 21st. I walked outside two steps, and I said, I don't know if this is worth getting this grade. (laughs) I put my head down and went about a block further, and I said, forget this. I, I got to take an F and got back in my dorm. It was so, now that's cold. That's cold. I don't blame him. I'd do the same I thing. I would do that too. Yeah. I used to that. Look, mm-hmm. uh, grades are grades. Got to look mm-hmm. out for my well-being. Mm-hmm. Especially if you know it's probably not going to matter for your life anyway, right? Yeah, I don't have that much security. But yes, I yeah, bet that would I be easy. Knew. The airport in Minneapolis, a young fan of Tom Brady wearing the Tom Brady jersey recognized Juju Smith-Schuster and asked for a picture. And Juju complied. However, the finished product shows Juju standing next to the Patriots fan wearing the Tom Brady jersey with his middle finger stuck out pointing right at said jersey. It was so perfect. Uh, Take it or leave it. That's something that you could see me doing. Oh, take it. Uh, I'm gonna. The reason I'm gonna leave it is, Randy has told us if he had a chance, if he was in a room with Stan, he would be very cordial. Yeah, he doesn't want to get arrested. So this is just a picture. I would do that. That's all it is. It's it's so funny too because you know how like people do when they take pictures with somebody, not like they point at each other. It's yeah. like, oh, this guy, no, this what guy. A sideways. Well, peace he sign. was doing that. The, the fan was doing. Look at this guy, and he was doing. Look at this guy with this finger. It was pretty funny. It was Did somebody do that funny. with Roger Goodell or something similar? I could see that. I that totally happened could, recently yeah. in sure the last couple of years. Happened. Uh, all right, as you guys know, Nebraska got themselves a new football coach. They got Scott Frost after his incredible season. He goes back to his alma mater, Nebraska. And news coming out today that Nebraska's new coach, Scott Frost, got two players sent to the hospital hmm. after workouts already. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Nebraska will now be in the conversation again for national champions. Take it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Take Man, it. I'm taking it too. Working these kids so hard, they're going to the hospital. I'm digging it old school. Now, he's probably going to get arrested or fired before this yeah. this goes mm-hmm. down. He said sorry. so uh, But I, I like uh, working them hard. Hospital yeah. hard's a bit much. but It never happened when the 310-pound Danny Noonan was working out at Nebraska. He never had to go to the hospital after a workout. Of course, once he got to the Cowboys, he weighed 260. What mm. happened? Yeah, what happened, Randy? He, just, he was a better workout guy at Nebraska for some reason. Oh, that's really weird. So yeah. he deflated. I don't think you can get he away with deflated. working out that way anymore, you know? I don't think so. It's tough, but hard work can be good. Uh, Brad, you were just on a flight. You were just on a plane recently. A couple of them, actually. Have you ever taken a service animal with you anywhere? I wish. Been wanting a service animal. Yeah. Well, so many services that I need. And I know a lot of people who uh, will do that, and they'll get a note from their doctor just so they can travel with their dog. Yeah. They don't really need it. 
Anyway, according to airline blog Live and Let's Fly, a United Airlines refused to let a woman bring her service animal on the flight. Her service animal was a peacock. <laughs> a, sorry? A, yes, a peacock. You know the bird? Yeah. With the plume? In what way can that service you? I don't know. But anyway, or she be tried of to. That's what I mean. That sounded Be of service, right. It's not going to mm. actually service you, right. especially not on the plane. Well, I guess that does happen, too. There's rules against Usually that in too. the bathroom. Club, yeah. Um, she brought it on. She bought a seat for the thing, but they still wouldn't let it on. An airline spokesperson told Fox News this animal did not meet guidelines for a number of reasons, including its weight and size. We explained this to the customers on three separate occasions before they arrived at the airport. She brought it anyway, thinking, you oh, can't they do can't. That. Well, they're not going to make you throw it in the garbage like they do your bottle of water. Yeah. Uh, take it or leave it, though. The airline should change its policy. I'll oh. leave it. I think the no it. peacock policy is probably solid still. Wouldn't you like to see a peacock no. strutting up and down the aisle? No kind doubt of. about it. I don't think I want to be uh, sitting next to it, though, if it's wedged in a middle seat. There's That's no way you're going to give yeah. it the window. That's a really great point. Yeah, yeah, you can't give it the window. Big Sis, what do you got for us? Take it or leave it. Lance Lynn signs this week with the Brewers. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to take that just for fun. <laughs> I'm going to take it and it won't be fun. It's going to be really annoying. Yeah. I don't want to see the Brewers get any better, so I'll leave it uh, for that. I don't think it's going to be this week. I, I feel like this is going to keep getting pushed back. You Darvish and Jake Arrieta, in my opinion, will sign before Lance Lynn. I think the week of February 7th, that's when you're going to get a lot of hmm. players signed. One week. One week prior. The week before spring yep. training opens for pitchers and catchers. That's it. Where it's like, okay, this team's missing some parts. Where can I go find some? Oh, free agency. Yeah. Has that been open all offseason? We'll we, try that. And we've said all offseason, who's going to blink first? And and there have been some deals. And then Lorenzo Cain and things haven't broken. It could be Brady. It could be Belichick. It could be Chris Long. Take it or leave it. Somebody retires at the Super Bowl. I'll take it. I'm going to take it, too. It'll be uh, your guy, Randy. Belichick? No. Chris said he's gonna, he wants to play. Does he? He told us last week he wants to play more. Um, From a Brady, submarine, they, he told Then us. it'll be yeah, alignment yeah. of sorts. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, of will, some Bernie will and Michelle had a great uh, conversation about Belichick this morning. Belichick wearing his dad's toupee, his fedora, off of the plane. Cool. And uh, Michelle, it was, she had an, an interesting take on the ESPN article about how that was kind of a, uh, a coach's will, taking care of McDaniels and Patricia with jobs. Uh telling Kyle Shanahan what he did wrong in the Super Bowl and then uh, having Garoppolo bequeathed to him. It was really interesting. It's an interesting take, and I could see that. So I'm going to go with BB. I'm going to take it. Take it or leave it. The Tennessee Titans will regret hiring such an inexperienced staff. Um, I'm going to leave that. Um, I'll take it. Or is it just because you just don't think they're good enough either way, or you think that... No, I, I think Vrabel's DNA is good. Dean Pease is a terrific defensive coordinator. He's been one of the best in the league for a long time. And Matt LaFleur has been around enough solid offensive people that he's probably ready to take the next step as an offensive coordinator. I wonder if uh, your quarterback is the right piece. 
At this That's point. a good question. You haven't seen him, but he's right. had some change also. You haven't really seen him take those leaps and bounds, those steps that you were hoping. But in fairness, Jameis Winston hasn't really done that either. He had that, you know, put up some yards, but has regressed a tiny bit also. I'm going to leave it too because I, I think it's really difficult when you have an inexperienced staff to know exactly what they're going to be. We, you, people always ask the question is this offensive coordinator or this DC? Is he going to be good as a head coach? And you don't really know. You don't know until they get a chance to mm-hmm. do it. They might have all the knowledge in the world. They've worked under great coaches, so you would think all that knowledge has been imparted to them. You you don't really know what it's going to be like. Take it or leave it. The Royals bring back Eric Hosmer. I'm going to leave it. I think I'm going to leave that too. I am also going to leave it. It would be a bad business decision on their part. And I, I get it. If they do, uh, if they did do it, it would be just a heartstrings. Oh, it just makes sense. We need him around. I don't think they will. And take it or leave it, LeBron going to the finals every year is more impressive than the Patriots being in the Super Bowl every year. I'm, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it too because I think in basketball to have one player, it's it's easier to have that guy control the whole thing. But for it to be Bill Belichick and a completely different team from when it started with the exception of Tom Brady, I think that's incredibly impressive. And don't you think the reality of the situation is is that the, the competitive level of the NFL is greater than of the NBA? When he was with Miami, there really wasn't a, a strong competitor. And until these last couple of years, there hasn't been a strong competitor in the East for him in Cleveland either. I think there are a lot more good good teams that can challenge or that have been able to challenge New England in the AFC than there have been to challenge LeBron in the NBA's Eastern Conference. Thanks, Big Says. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Home Loan Expert text line at 65780. Next up, the Cardinals bullpen will have a lot of pressure this season, and the majority of it can't fall on Matt Bowman again. That's next on 101 ESPN. That is former minor league starter Matt Bowman of the Cardinals, who led the club with 75 games pitched last year. He had a uh, 3.99 ERA, but it's interesting because it does look, if you look at the way his season unfolded, it appears as if he was a victim of fatigue and a little bit of overuse. No, no pitcher is ever going to blame that, but from the outside looking in, taking a macro view... That's what I thought. Well, as a pitcher, too, that's what you want. You want that phone to ring at any tight game, and they say your name. Like that That's what you pride yourself on. You pride yourself on the fact that you are available every day. You are out there when the manager needs you. Uh, the problem is that at some point it will wear on you if you can't get uh, breaks in. And, look, 75 games, that's a lot of work, right? But if you do it the right way, you could probably, you know, build in a little bit of rest here and there. By the way, nobody's uh, nobody's crying for Cecil, who threw in 73 games, who mm-hmm. struggled. <laughs> Left-handed. Yeah, 67 innings for him. Oh, that's He'll be right. All right. He'll be all right. Uh, no, but uh, it's uh, it is a sense of pride for a pitcher. You want to be into all all of, all of those games. But as an organization, you need to have your go-to guys be ready at the end of the year. So where's the balance? Because we know the the wins and losses mean the same at the end of the year. If you're out by one game because you tried to protect him in May, 
well, that, that could be your mm-hmm. season. So the answer is having more options, having more guys that, that you feel comfortable giving the ball to. And I think the Cardinals have done a good job of doing that. And the guys that have been called up uh, ha- have done a good job of getting their foot in the door and making themselves viable options. So every time you're in a situation, you don't have to necessarily pick up the phone and say, hey, get Bowman going now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can speak from that perspective. Brad, not the one it. that pitches every well, not, day. <laughs> not that one. But but just from being out there, you do want to get that phone call. But gotcha. and, and I and I think even when you're exhausted and it's like the end of July or the beginning of August and you've been working a lot, I'm sure that because of the competitor in you, you still want to get that phone call, but your body's probably also saying, hey, I need to I need to give it a little bit Those of a rest. Those are the ones that feel the best. The ones where, where you know you have nothing left and your name is called and you go out there and, and get out of it and it's like, oh, yeah. damn, look at me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you don't at the time realize how that affects you as, as time goes on if you continually do that stuff. And I know for younger pitchers, it's a harder thing to do. Sometimes veterans will They'll tell somebody, hey, man, I'm a little gassed. Try to stay away from me tonight. It doesn't happen a ton, but it does happen. But if you're Matt Bowman, you're not telling that to anybody. You are not going to say one thing to your manager about how tired you feel. Right. And by the way, it, his season kind of was a roller coaster last year. In April, 14 games, a 3.65 ERA. In May, 11 games and a 7.45. Then he bounces back in June. In 13 games, he had a 2.19. In July, 15 games, he had an earned run average of two. Then in August, swung the other way, uh, 12 games and an earned run average of 6.48. Then 10 games in September and a 2.57 ERA. One of the problems that he had is that he he wasn't just good. He never had a four ERA in any month. There right. was three, six, five, seven, four, five, two, one, nine, two, uh, six, four, eight, two, five, seven. So it wasn't one of those things where okay, he was just okay for a month. He was either terrific or he was terrible it looked like uh the splits that jonathan broxton had for a while where it's like one month you're outstanding the other one you fall off and and those are the things that you're going to learn as a younger pitcher uh learning how to be a part of the bullpen is that consistency day in and day out as he referenced he was a starter in the minor leagues it's every five days everything is so regimented Uh, you get your workouts in uh, on the same days you do a long run on the same day you throw your bullpen on the same day like nothing is on the fly everything is routine based and in the bullpen, it is on the fly. It is a it is a phone call. It is a uh, day game after a night game that you're going to have to go in there and get some outs, and you still have to figure out ways to get it done. And for the most part, uh, Matt Bowman has done a great job, but it would be nice just to get uh, some other names called down there. How did Bowman like seeing so much action? It's easy to get up for the situation because, uh, you know, sometimes early on in 2016, I was very happy to be in the big leagues, and that was enough adrenaline. But I can see over time it being difficult if you're coming in sort of cleaning up to make sure that you are as dialed in as you need to be considering it's a major league game. But if they're runners on base, especially when it's someone else's runners, I take a lot of pride in trying to make sure I don't give up anyone else's runs. So, uh... What do you mean by cleaning up? Is he talking about my job, like the cleaning kind stuff of, yeah. up? No, I understand that. Um, and, and there are situations, just like everything else in life, like he said, it's a big league game. You know you need to be up for it. But there are moments where the juices are flowing, mm-hmm. runners on, tight game. And there are other moments where it's like, all right, I'm going in to get in some work. It, it was funny during this fantasy camp thing o- over the weekend. They do different banquets. And one night it was different closers up there. So they had Al Raboski up there. Izzy was talking, uh, Tom Hankey, Todd Worrell, and they were just cool. talking about you know closing games and the one thing that they all talked about was those games where you have to quote unquote get your work in 
when it's like a gate, you're like, oh, we, you haven't pitched haven't in like six, in seven while, days. Yeah. Hey, just go out there and just give us an <laughs> inning. That's when you inevitably give up like seven runs because it's just different. Yeah, like those yeah. aren't the the games that you pitch in, uh, but they all matter. And fortunately for Matt Bowman, he finds himself in a lot more of those tight games where the adrenaline is going than he does in that, hey, let's clean up some mess. We got to get a few innings out of the way. I think one of the more fascinating things to watch this season, once it finally begins, once we get past this offseason of what they might do with the roster, is, is just how the dynamic works between Mike Maddox and, and Mike Matheny and how how much autonomy Maddox has. I know we've discussed that idea in the past a lot, is that you you have to figure that he's going to take pretty good control of that bullpen, that the reason they hired somebody like him of his stature, somebody who's been around, is that they are going to allow him that. Well, one of the things I hope happens here is that they do a little bit better in protecting somebody like Matt Bowman. I do have a question for you, BT. The... the because it's very hard to define. We talked about Bowman and the amount of innings he's pitched versus Brett Cecil. Uh, Cecil had the 73 games he appeared in, 67 and one-thirds innings. Uh, Matt Bowman, 75 games and 58. So fewer innings in more appearances as opposed to the other way around. What is tougher? What What is harder? What is more, I, I would say, exhausting to a pitcher? Is it the more appearances or the more innings over time? I would say the more appearances, like getting up each time. But each individual is different. You know, everybody's going to be uh, make make their own decisions on that. But getting up to get ready for the game, that's hard to do. It's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. And today we celebrate the 18-year anniversary of the St. Louis Rams winning Super Bowl 34. Coming up, the MVP of that Super Bowl, Kurt Warner in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN with Cardinals World Series champ Brad Thompson and Chris Ranji. I'm Randy Carricker. And with this being the 18-year anniversary of the Rams winning Super Bowl 34, we head to the Lou Fuse Kia Celebrity Line. And our friend, Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, kind enough to join us from Minneapolis. How are you? I am doing very well, Randy. I'm uh, out here in the cold weather of <laughs> Minnesota, but uh, you can't complain when it's Super Bowl week. And you have a busy week with your NFL network, and you've also got some Westwood One. You're going to help with their pregame too, right? Uh, yeah, no, always always a busy time, but uh, but like I said, it's always a fun time. I love talking about the game. I love the festivities. I love the event of the Super Bowl. So, uh, yes, I'll be uh, very busy all week, but, uh, but like I said, it's, it's a good thing when it comes to Super Bowl week and you can stay busy and you can uh, enjoy everything that's become the Super Bowl. I wanted to go back 18 years, and Nick Foles obviously is going to be playing in his first Super Bowl. It's a different situation, but – I remember watching you just uh, playing catch and talking with Al Michaels like it was any other game before the Super Bowl. Did did you feel that way? Were there butterflies for Kurt Warner before Super Bowl 34? Oh, yes, without a doubt. I mean, I had butterflies before every game, but no question I had, you know, bigger butterflies, more butterflies for the Super Bowls. Uh, you know, just because of the understanding of what it represents and what that game represented for me after everything that that i had been through um and what it represented in terms of the history of our game that you have a chance to to write history and um you know so yeah there was always nervousness and excitement and anxiety coming into to those games the greatest thing was that once you took a snap once you made that first throw or completion you settled in and you realized this game is like every other game but uh, the hype leading up to it, and you know, every time you turned on the TV, every time you went out of your hotel room, it was all about you, your team, the Super Bowl. Um, so yeah, there was definitely a, a lot more 
nervousness going into to one of those big games than than most of the others. And Kurt, the, the game itself takes longer too. Super or the the <laughs> Super Bowl halftime is longer. There, there's adjustments I would assume have to be made there. Uh, I, I was always just in my career playing baseball, just a, a routine oriented, like everything was the same all the time. Did that mess you guys up at all? Obviously not. But uh, what adjustments <laughs> did you have to make uh, with, with halftime being longer? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the bigger distraction is the week that is leading up to the game. You know, uh, the, the hardest part is just that you've got seven days in that city, and you talk about routine. We all like our routines. And maybe the biggest part of the routine is the ability to get away from football, you know, whether that's driving your kids to practice or whether that's having dinner with the family. And all that disappears when you uh, land in the Super Bowl city and you're stuck in your hotel room. And, you know, all that routine goes out the window. You, you always say, hey, let's make it as much like a normal week as we possibly can, but it's impossible. And so that is the hardest thing is what do I do with my time? And your time usually gets stuck simply thinking about the game. And so you get so overwhelmed. And in my first Super Bowl, I was worn out by the time the game came, you know, from doing interviews to being run from this place to that place to just sitting in my room and stewing about the game plan and what we were going to do and, and how I needed to play. And, and so that was the hardest part. The Super Bowl in and of itself, uh, the halftime, you know, I had broken my ribs at the first half of that game. So uh, I don't remember how long halftime seemed. I just laid on a, on a you know, cot in, in the training room and simply just, you know, said, just let me know. Just tap me on the shoulder when it's time to go back out. I'm just going to relax here. Tell me the adjustments that we're making as I walk out, and let's go finish this thing. That's where I wanted to go with this because you're up nine to nothing, I believe, at the half, and you're you're. I, I'm wondering if you're thinking about that because you've got such a long, you know, you've got such a long layoff, which is it's it's atypical of a normal halftime. You know, you're in there for so long, and here you are. You've got a lead in a Super Bowl, but you've got broken ribs. So are you just more thinking about that and the fact you don't feel good? It's exactly what I was thinking about. I you know really wasn't thinking about any kind of adjustments or. You know, how soon can we get back out there? I was just trying to focus in, you know, through the pain and just say, okay, you know, there's, we got, we got 30 more minutes and, you know, just tell me when it's time to go back out there and let's, let's play football. I don't need to talk about anything. I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about adjustments. We just need to go play and play well in the second half and finish this thing. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking, oh, this is taking forever. I was just simply kind of getting into the zone, trying to, you know, push everything else out and just say, okay, I got 30 minutes of football left this season, and we've got a chance to uh, to show ourselves as the greatest team in the league that year. And th- that was your demeanor. We've seen on NFL films your sideline demeanor in the second half. So what you're saying is is what we've seen. So you build the lead to 16 nothing. They come back, kick a field goal, tie the game at the two minute warning at 16 16. Mike March that year was upstairs. Do you remember what that two minute warning was like as the play was called? Um, you know, I remember. You know, but right before we went out onto the field, um, you know, that, you know, I'm standing over the sideline, kind of going through some th- different things in my mind. And Coach Vermeil came down to me and kind of, you know, put his arm around me and just kind of leaned in and said, you know, this is exactly how you played it out in your front yard a million times. Two minutes to go in the Super Bowl, ball in your hands. Now go finish this thing like you did in your front yard. And you just kind of brought me back to the entire journey and, you know, if you're a little boy that ever dreamed of playing in the NFL, you knew exactly what he meant is that we all would go out 
you know, for me and my brother, we would go out after every Super Bowl at every Super Bowl halftime, and we would play out the Super Bowl in our front yard. And, you know, you always win, and you always throw the touchdown pass or make the touchdown catch or run to win it. And, you know, he was just referencing back, I know you've been here a million times before. Now it's a reality. Now go out and finish this thing. And then when the play call came in from, from Mike, um, you know, it was interesting because the momentum had shifted, and we hadn't done a whole lot in the second half. Um, but in typical Mike Mart's fashion, we're still going to be aggressive. We're going to call all goes, first play, and instead of trying to work it down and get a field goal, we're going to finish this thing by scoring a touchdown. And sure enough, uh, four guys, four verticals, everybody going deep. <laughs> and then Isaac made a great catch adjustment, got a little help from, uh, from his friends on, on, on the back end with some great blocks, and, and weaved his way into the end zone. And, you know, you couldn't have written a script any better. Uh, until I had to watch Steve McNair and company drive all the way down uh, down the field, thinking that they had a chance to tie this thing up, and that's when uh, you know the tackle the tackle happened, mm-hmm. and Mike Jones happened, and uh, I mean just a, just a great football game. So many ups and downs, highs and lows, ebbs and flows, and then just finished with so much drama. It uh, you know just couldn't have been any better. Kurt, when uh, when the play call came in. With the way things had gone, and you knew Mike Martz's play calling throughout the season very well by that point, would you have been surprised by anything other than 999 balloon? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of, in my mind, it, I think it did surprise me. Not because hmm. I didn't expect it from him, but just because of the way the second half had played out, that I thought we're going to be a little more conservative, try to get something going early, but... Uh, but again, now that I look back, it doesn't surprise me one bit that he said, you know, we're going to finish this thing. He, what he always did all year long was kind of let us know that he had our back, that every situation he trusted us to go out and make the play. I mean, how many fourth downs did we go for? Uh, how many times, you know, in a uh, difficult situation we went for it instead of, instead of trying to you know, play for a field goal? And that's just his mentality and the trust he had in the guys and the guys time and time again, stepped up and made those plays. So I don't know why I would have been surprised at the moment, but it was more just because of the way the game played out. But I look back, and it was the way we played all year long. Uh, so it was the typical and perfect way to finish what we did offensively by you know, making that play and, and scoring the touchdown to win the Super Bowl. Do you recall your, your feeling or your, your thoughts at that exact moment Isaac Bruce made that nice move and made it all the way to the end zone? Um, I mean, I, I just – yeah, I think the feeling is simply just for the first time in your life, you go, I just won the Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> we just won the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, and, you know, it's kind of surreal and you, you don't really know how to feel and you don't know if it is real or not. But, um, you know, it's just the first time in your life where, you know, you played it all out and, you know, you're jumping up and down in your front yard. But it's that first moment where you start to realize, oh, my goodness, we are going to win the Super Bowl and be the best team in the NFL and write our names in history. And, um, you know, it's a little bit shocked and it's a lot of excitement. Um, you know, but then what I, I came to realize at the rest of that game and in the other Super Bowls I played in, there's a whole bunch of time left where a lot can happen in the last couple of minutes. Uh, you mentioned uh, Dick Vermeil putting his arm around you and talking to you and, and uh, just hey, like you said, hey, this is uh, you, you've pictured this a thousand times. What a luxury that is to have a calming presence presence like that, because I bet there are a lot of coaches uh, that have been in that same position that Dick Vermeil has found himself in. And then all of a sudden they tighten up. They forget uh, that, that it is still football and, and make different decisions. That, that had to be nice to have a presence like that. 
Oh, no doubt. I mean, a guy that had been there, um, you know, a guy that always, you know, always seemed to know what to do in the moment. And, uh, you know, Dick was that kind of guy, and especially when it came to um, the connection with the players. You know, always knew what to say. Always knew how to tap into uh, the personalities of the different guys. Know, you know, know what the right words were at the right moment. Uh, so no question about it that, you know, there's no question I was nervous. Two minutes to go and that kind of pressure on me at that moment. But, you know, just him coming over and putting his arm around me and, and sharing that moment really settled me in. Like, you're right. You know, I've dreamed about this. Here we are. It couldn't be more perfect. Now we just have to finish it. So just a calming voice, as he always has been, uh, you know, in my career and for me, whether it was when I was with the Rams or even times when I talked to him after that, uh, it was such a, a blessing to have him on the sideline and in my ear uh, throughout that season and particularly at that moment. Hall of Famer Kurt Warner with us in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. Kurt, one other thing about that day when you went up to the podium and you were with Mike Tirico, and the first thing you said was first things first. And lo and behold, that becomes the name of Kurt Warner's foundation, the first things first foundation. It really is remarkable how much came out of that day. And in addition to the Super Bowl championship and, and perhaps the Hall of Fame, but the, the foundation and all the things that have followed. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, you're never quite sure, and I kind of shared it at the Hall of Fame last year, uh, of what moments are really going to shape who you are and who you become and, and where the future goes. But unquestionably, I mean, that was one of those moments, uh, not only just winning the Super Bowl, but, but sharing who I was and, and my faith and, and what came from that uh, on a bigger picture scale than, than, than even just winning the Super Bowl. Um, you know, is really incredible. And you can look back and, you know, pinpoint certain moments that really shape the direction of your life or the direction of your career. And without a doubt, uh, that shaped a lot of, of who I was and what I did from that point forward, um, you know, because of the great success and the way the season played out. But just as importantly, uh, who I set myself up uh, to be a representative of and what I wanted to display throughout my entire career. Kurt, we're going to spend the rest of the week talking about game plans, going into it, uh, you know, what, what the Patriots have to do, what the Eagles have to do. Inevitably, we're going to be incorrect with, with all of these things, <laughs> as, as we normally are. Luckily, people don't generally call us out on, uh, on Mondays. I am interested, though, before I, we, we spin it forward really quick, I, I am interested, what was your game plan going into that game, and how did it change? I mean, that was a, a pretty darn good defense they were rolling out there. D did, did your game plan have to evolve throughout the game? Well, I mean, our game plan was simply to attack like we had all year long. And we came out throwing the football, um, which had really been our MO, and we felt like, um, you know, we could attack them in the secondary. And so we came out with that idea. You know, that, now the hardest part is when uh, they got going in the second half because we were so much of a rhythm team, a timing team. When they started to get going in the second half, you know, their get going was, three yards in a cloud of dust. It was run the football. It was power football. It was use the clock. And so in that second half, we just didn't get very many opportunities. So you could see us kind of get out of rhythm a little bit because we didn't have the opportunity to be on the field and run a lot of plays in the second half. And I think that was a big reason why, you know, Mike went for it when he did with two minutes to go was simply, and we just haven't got into a rhythm this second half. We haven't really got anything going. We just need to get a big shot. We need to get, you know, something to kind of spearhead us uh, and get that momentum back to us. And so I think that's why he called that play. 
Uh, but that was the hardest part is just they played the game so differently than we did, and they got us out of rhythm when they started rolling and doing the things that they did well. You mentioned uh, Steve McNair. After you after you get the touchdown, you're thinking to yourself, okay, we are actually going to do this whole thing. And then here comes Steve McNair. He's got a little bit of time, and he marches all the way down the field. There's that play where they, I think it was like 20 or 22 seconds left to go, and he scrambles. He's almost tackled. Kevin Carter's in on him. Somebody else, I can't recall who it is. Who it is. They almost have him. So he's, he's almost down. He makes he makes the play. It's a beautiful play with about six seconds left to go. They stop the clock. What are you thinking when that play happens and he misses that tackle, um, the one before the actual tackle? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, you sit back now and you appreciate the moments. You appreciate the great players that you got a chance to play with in those big games. Uh, you know, you point to Tom Brady or Big Ben and Antonio, all those things. Uh, but you think back to, to that moment and watching that drive that Steve McNair put together, I mean, it was epic. And it, it, it really culminated with that play you're talking about that man, we thought we were going to win the game right there. We thought without a question, he's getting sacked. And I mean, he goes and it looks like his knees are down and he's about ready to go down and keeps his balance and then makes the big throw down the field. And you're just like, are you serious? I mean, <laughs> is this really happening You know, at this moment? Can we just finish this thing and go? Um, but, you know, again, you look back and you say, man, but it set up perfectly. Uh, and, and I think what was so perfect was, you know, it was all about the offense so much of that season and how big the defense came up at key moments against uh, Tampa Bay in the championship game to give us a chance to win that one. And then, of course, Mike making that tackle to stop them at the end. And it just lets you know that this is the ultimate team game. And it takes 53 guys on any given Sunday to win a game like that. And uh, we got a great performance from the team on the other side, uh, but our guys came up with just enough, whether it was offense, defense, special teams, to uh, to get a victory, and that's what makes it so sweet. You will see Hall of Famer Kurt Warner throughout the week on NFL Network. You can hear him during the pregame show here on 101 ESPN on Sunday. Want to touch a little bit on this game just for a couple minutes, Kurt, uh, and the standard. Let's just say the standard is New England. So with that being the case, what do you think Philadelphia has to do to win Super Bowl 52? Well, I mean, I think they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to play like they played in the NFC Championship game. They're going to have to make some big plays offensively, um, which I like their matchups there. They're going to see a lot of man-to-man coverage, so they're going to get some opportunities. Nick Foles is going to have to be good again. I mean, he's going to have to play a good game. And then defensively, I think the weakest part of their defense is the back end. And so they're going to have to find a way to get pressure on Tom quickly. Um, and I think they have the guys to do with their front four, but that's really what it takes. If you have to blitz Tom Brady, it's tough, so you got to get pressure on him with those front four guys and starting with uh, Fletcher Cox in the middle, but get a push up the middle, uh, and that's going to go a long way in helping their back end to be able to slow down the Patriots. Well, when you look at Tom Brady doing this, obviously him and Belichick have done some incredible things, and I know there have been some other guys that have been there for a lot of it, but 40 years old now, in his eighth Super Bowl, nobody else has done it like him, uh, and you've done this at the highest level possible. When you see Tom Brady doing his thing, what what do you think of Tom? I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, the only thing you can think is, as you said, the best that's ever done it. Um, You know, that he just... um, Sorry, I just jumped in a car. Got a little uh, music here, but you know, it's just—it's a—you have to appreciate uh, watching him and, and appreciate what he's accomplished. And you know, we can talk about the forty. I don't—I mean, that's—it's incredible that he's playing that way at forty. But to me, it's just more who he's been his entire career. 
the consistency that he's had, uh, the level. And I think the thing that always separates is just what he's done in the moment. You know, I mean, how many times you've watched him in the moment play at that level? I mean, we saw it again in the AFC Championship game. In that moment, down 10 in the fourth quarter, he does his thing. You know, last year in the Super Bowl, down 25, you know, late in the second half, and he brings them all the way back to winning. I mean, it's those kinds of things that you just understand uh, what that's like to be in the moment and to be able to, to play at that level. Um, so you have to appreciate it. And, you know, I was saying on, a, on our set uh, last night that, you know, when I started playing football and the dream was to play in the NFL, I, I dreamed of, you know, playing in five Super Bowls because no quarterback had, had played in five at the time. Um, you know, or one five, and that was my dream. And now here he is, uh, you know, playing in his eighth. He's already won five, uh, and it's just it's almost unfathomable to think in our team game uh, that one guy can have that much success with so many different pieces around him. But you just tip your hat to to what they've been able to do as an organization, what Tom's been able to do, because we just we, we just never seen anything like it. Kurt, I know you're an analyst right now. You you were a player, and you're a human first, though. And I have to imagine that most humans are about tired of seeing the Patriots in the Super Bowl. There's got to be <laughs> part of you that's thinking, okay, that's enough of the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, I, I, no doubt, um, no <laughs> doubt about it. Is but but that's you know that's twofold. You know, part of it you you have to respect uh, what they've done and what they've accomplished. But yeah, no question. I, I'm a firm believer that everybody should get a chance to experience what it's like to win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just, it's so rare. It's so unique. It's such an incredible situation to be in. It's such a joy to be able to share those moments uh, with your team and an organization and with your family that I want everybody to have a chance to experience that. So as much as I appreciate and respect the Patriots, I mean, you just look and you got, you've had yours. You know, it's time to share the love a little bit and let some of these other guys have their moment because they're not going to get eight shots at this thing. Uh, we just know that you're not going to see this again. So, uh, yeah, I'm always pulling for those the underdog teams, the teams that are playing against them, and no disrespect to the Patriots, but it's more about wanting these other guys and teams to be able to to enjoy that moment like I was able to enjoy. Hey, Kurt, it's amazing. Every January 30th, how this town lights up over the memory of Super Bowl 34 and what you and your teammates brought to St. Louis. We thank you so much, and we thank you for reminiscing. You do it with us every year, and we do appreciate it. Uh, no problem. It's always great to be on with you guys. Hall of Famer Kurt Warner with us in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. Well, karma had a funny way of catching up to one thief. Those details are next before, with all due respect, here on 101 ESPN.